And the lag is wicked bad tonight. Hey, it's 6 a.m. on the West Coast, 9 a.m. on the East Coast of America. It's 2 p.m. in London, England, 7.30 in Mumbai, India. It's 11 p.m. in Kyoto, Japan, and in Malaysia, it's 1958. I'm Jay Sheldon. I'm not wearing pants. <laughs> Name of the game around this place. <laughs> yeah, seriously, the lag is horrible tonight. Uh, it's really bad. So uh, I- I'm saying it here, and you're seeing it there. It's kind of live, but delayed by maybe 30 seconds or so. So. Anyway, it's just another one of those nights. We're live on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch.tv, and Rumble.com. We love our Rumble audience. Thank you guys over there for checking out the show. Whether you catch it live or you catch the video replay, all, all 183 shows are available on Facebook, on YouTube, on Rumble. Uh, not Twitch, because Twitch only keeps them for a couple of weeks and then deletes them. This stupid system, but that's Twitch for you. So, uh, yeah, we're there. We're also a podcast, and thank you so much to all the hundreds of you who download our podcast three times a week. We love you. We love you. We love you. Uh, we have an audience across the planet, including a very popular uh, uh, in India at I assume geo7.com. We're also on Spotify, Google Podcasts, iTunes, wherever you get your podcast. You'll find us. Just look for I'm Not Wearing Pants. That's the logo. Click the subscribe button and you're in. It's all free. Thank you. All right. We got lots to get to tonight. It is a real grab bag, including our lead story. Who's watching you? You might not want to know. But before we get to that, we got to get to this. Miko update. Miki, Miki, Miko update she's great she's doing well she's sitting downstairs having a pet right now of her belly rub um we we're gonna try again her on the show again tonight but she just refuses to cooperate so <laughs> she does what she wants to she is ponsri uh, miko so she uh yeah i mean she happens to pop in here we'll try and grab her but don't count on it. <clears throat> um, but she's doing very well. She had two walks today. She got all around the neighborhood and uh, met. Uh, there's this guy who walks two golden retrievers. They are adorable. One is a very young puppy, maybe eight, nine months old. The other is a very old dog. And it has. it's so sad. It has a real tough time getting around. But it gets around nevertheless. And uh, the puppy, I hadn't seen it in probably a month and the thing has doubled in size it's huge golden retrievers are so beautiful and this puppy is a he and of course miko is a she who just finished her heat so this little he guy was very interested in that little she guy but uh you know none of that (laughs) we don't need actually you know what that would be that would be a really cool looking puppy wouldn't it A Shiba Inu and a Golden Retriever. The temperament of that dog would be amazing. It would probably be be super intelligent. Because Retrievers... I had a Golden Retriever as a young boy. Um, He was with me. I found him on my paper route. He followed me home. He had a collar on. I was delivering papers on my bicycle. I saw him on Route 7, and he just decided to follow me home. So 
<laughs> we gave him to the uh, at the St. Francis Animal Shelter, which is a shelter in Cornwall, Connecticut, where I lived, where I grew up. And uh, she said they would advertise it as missing for a week or so. And then if we wanted, we could adopt it. And no one claimed it. We adopted it. I called him Boy. <laughs> and uh, Boy was with me for many, many, many years until he got so old that... Uh, he had to cross the Rainbow Bridge, but uh, I'll never forget Boy. He was amazing. Such an incredible uh, golden retriever. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the weird stuff, shall we? <laughs> There's plenty of it. Um, oh, wait, before we do that, I just want to share this with you one more time because the dog is still missing while we're on the dog subject. Uh, there is this uh, missing dog. Uh, Tay Bing is the male Shiba Inu dog's name. Uh, this is, again, just for our Malaysian audience. Uh, it's been missing since, like, January. Sadly, I at this point, I'm not sure I'd hold out any hope. But you never know. Uh, it does not wear a collar, or it didn't wear a collar. And there's a number there you can call if you should happen to see this uh, uh, male Shiba Inu. And they are offering a reward for its safe return. Uh, it's been a long time, sadly, almost a month, if not, I think, just exactly a month. So uh, please, if you are in the Malaysian area, this was lost in the Churras, Damai Perdana, Jalan Raya Baru, and Desa Baiduri uh, area. And please do help, uh, help her out if you can. It would, uh, it would mean a lot. I can't imagine the state I'd be in if we ever lost Miko. Man insane. All right, Texas, the good old state of Texas is going after Mark Zuckerberg and good on you. <laughs> I'm going to get kicked off Facebook and I don't give a crap. Uh, yeah, this story was in uh, stealthoptional.com. Uh, true story. I've read it in several different news outlets. The link is in our show notes if you want to read the whole article. Texas has pledged to sue Meta. Now, Meta is the new rebranding for Facebook or the company that owns Facebook. And um, thousands of billions of dollars over facial recognition. There's the goofball himself. Facial recognition software is not new. But it is controversial. Companies like Clearview AI scrubbing the internet for billions of faces, yours and mine, without our consent. Even governments are turning against the tech. One such government is the state of Texas, who is pl uh, plotting to completely bankrupt Facebook's parent company, Meta. Well, good on you. Texas versus Meta. A company built on lies. Uh, again, I'm not going to read this whole article. Please do read it. I encourage you to do it because it will open your eyes to just how safe you and your ID and your bio data is. Bottom line, it ain't. Reported by the Rio Times, the state of Texas announced plans to cripple Meta over its facial recognition software. It revolves around the social media company's decade-long use. They've been doing this for 10 years automatically uh, doing facial recognition to anything you upload. You read the terms and conditions. You signed all your rights away to all this crap. Uh, Meta has breached the laws revolving face tracking, according to the lawsuit. Uh, 
uh, technology introduced in 2010, the service automatically detects faces and labels them in their servers. And this allows any image to label all Facebook users in the frame. If you take a picture with your friends, facial recognition will pick out all of them, ID them. And um, they've already faced legal battles from Illinois, cost the company 650 million bucks. This is USD. And a $350 payout to Illinois Facebook users. Ooh, nice. The state of Texas is not planning to be quite as kind to the big tech company. Instead, they are planning to sue the company for thousands of billions, with a B, of dollars in an attempt to bankrupt Zuckerberg's empire. And it goes on and on. It's a very interesting article. They do not delete this biodata. It's been happening since 2010. It happens all the time, and if you think you are immune to it because you ticked a box or you made a Facebook post saying, my stuff is my stuff, it doesn't matter. You're screwed. And you've been facially recognized. You've been dumped in a data bank. And who knows either who they're selling that information to or who has access to that information, whether you like it or not. Read the whole article. It's in the show notes. There is a link to this tonight. And uh, like I said, it'll open your eyes. All right. What else we got? Hey, this is cool. Speaking about companies, the opposite of Facebook, the guys who do good things. And this is from a website called japaninsights.com. I don't know if you're familiar with the game Elden Ring. It's huge. It's massive and a japanese game company asks employees to take the day off in order to play elden ring take a day off to play the game it was released on the previous friday it's all over the internet and a lot of game critics are rating the game exceptionally well and so natural for gamers to want to play it on the first day well it must have been miserable for some nine-to-five workers who'll be busy all day Friday. Can't wait to go home and try it. How can you stay focused on a job when something like that, if you're a gamer, is standing out there? So Pocket Pair, it's a Tokyo-based gaming company, best known for Craftopia. And it describes itself as an open-world survival crafting game. Craftopia is a standout at a gaming show last fall. Well, their intelligent people realized that Elden Ring release was such a significant event that they've made it into an Elden holiday for all of their employees. This is not this company's game. They make other games. But they've actually given their employees a day off to go play the game. <laughs> uh, it says their official proclamation states, staff cannot concentrate on work. They're probably right. <laughs> so, this is the memo that was issued. It's in Japanese. Sorry, I can't read it. Wish I could. But uh, yeah, basically, uh, even though they declared Monday as another holiday, they stated the employees do not have to come to work, which means they'll have all the remaining days of February to play Elden Ring. We <laughs> <laughs> Nice job. Oh, man. 
Those Japanese companies know how to do it, huh? That's amazing. Very cool. Again, the link to the whole article is in our show notes tonight. You want to check it out, please do that. All right, this one's from uh, the MalayMail.com. And you know my feelings about the Malay Mail, but occasionally they do something interesting. Grab Legend. Actually, it's spelled in Malay here. It's Grab Legend. Grab Malaysia celebrates the legendary stories of its driver, drivers, and delivery partners. Um, this is a cool article, and it comes with a rather cool video, too. Check it out. Uh, but basically, I've said this before, and it's not just Grab, Food Panda, Lala Move. We've got several major delivery services, but the big ones for food is Grab and Food Panda. There are many others. They have, for the past two-plus years, kept a lot of us fed, kept a lot of us in our medicines, uh, kept deliveries going, and we haven't been locked down for quite a while now, but back when we were under lockdown, under house arrest, uh, they kept the wheels moving, and they kept us fed. And, uh, in fact, a show that I uh, produce and direct called Random Acts, we took one episode and we got a bunch of petrol certificates and we gave them away randomly to all the Grab and Food Panda drivers, we, delivery guys we could find. And we stopped by a couple of the places that are popular, the malls and things where they all congregate. And we handed out these, uh, these certificates for petrol. Just a small thing to say thank you. Again, it's not a pat on the back. Oh, aren't, aren't I wonderful? It's just something we wanted to do because we recognize that these guys and gals do an amazing job. And uh, this article is very cool. Uh, they have done the Legend of Life Giver, Birth of Lionheart. <laughs> uh, there's a comic coming out. There's a video. And it's an initiative called Grab Legend which aims to recognize the real stories and dedication of their drivers and riders and further enrich their lives with enhanced benefits via grab benefits. Now, it didn't mean for this to turn into a grab commercial, but so be it. Uh, the country operations director, Rashid Shukur, said they hope to continue honoring their partners for their incredible acts of service and kindness while serving their fellow Malaysians and Good on you. Uh, again, it's not just delivering food, too. These guys are on the streets almost 24-7. And they have helped out in a lot of situations that they happen to come across, whether it's a, an accident or somebody needs help. You'll see videos out there all over the place between TikTok and Facebook and YouTube of uh, some of these delivery drivers helping out people in times of need. For the most part, yes, there are some buttheads out there but for the most part these guys and gals are amazing and they do great work and they help out when they can so they're well deserved and thanks to a grab for for doing that nice job all right the whole article is in our show notes you can check it out in the description down below here wherever you're listening or watching you check it there what else have we got here ah uh, yeah this is a cool one <laughs> No more cigarettes. Yeah, I know. I always say this when I do something about smoking. I'm a smoker. I have been a smoker since I was 16 years old. I don't like cigarette smoking. I wish I could quit cigarette smoking. 
I don't want to hear all your just try this, just try that crap. It doesn't work. I have done literally everything. I don't even know how to go through the list. Cold turkey, hypnosis, patches, uh, you name it, whatever, chewing gum. Uh, I have done it all. Nothing works. I don't like smoking, but I am addicted to nicotine. Can't quit. Sorry, just not at that point in my life. I'll probably die with a cigarette in my hand. Nevertheless, obviously, it's no good for you, and you shouldn't do it. But some of us can't help it. So check this out from World of Buzz. The um, link is in our show notes, our description tonight. This is some initiative from the health department. It's stupid. It's not going to work. It's just basically politically correct crap to make headlines and, oh, look, aren't we good? We're trying to do something. <clears throat> Doesn't work. Anyway, no more cigarettes for those born after 2005. Mm, really? Uh, back in January 2020, just a month and a half ago, uh, the health minister, KJ, announced the government's intention to implement a generational smoking ban in Malaysia. Once the legislation is passed, and for sure it will, because, you know, everybody wants to be politically correct, the sale of cigarettes and tobacco products will be prohibited to any Malaysian born after 2005. Cigarettes bring about serious health hazards, of course, and people around them, uh, well, uh, remains to be seen. Implementing a generational ban can reduce the number of smokers over time. Of course, what they don't mention is that it will increase the amount of illegal cigarettes, the amount of cigarettes that get stolen, black market, all that stuff. But, you know, knock yourselves out. It makes you look good. And everybody will think you're just the most wonderful thing since sliced bread. So, yeah, if you're born after 2005, if this legislation passes, you will not be allowed, allowed to buy cigarettes or any tobacco products. So, uh, yeah, you want to read the whole article? You can go ahead and do that. It's in our show notes tonight. That's the links uh, just down below the show. Uh, what else we got? Oh, you feeling cold? I'm not cold. I haven't been cold in over 20 years. <laughs> 20 years in Malaysia, five years in Key West, Florida. Uh, before that, Connecticut. So yes, I felt cold then, but that was 25 years ago. However, cold as you might be, you're not this cold. Minus 60 degrees Celsius. Now, I know we all have a problem with Russia these days, but this picture happens to come out of Russia. It's one of the Russian people, not the leaders and the warmongers. This guy's name, oh, is this his name or is this where it's from? Yakutia. Look at that. Minus 60 Celsius. That is insane. This is a giant truck, dump truck, completely covered in ice. And this is a guy who, with the exception of his nose and cheek tops, is also completely covered in ice. But at minus 60 Celsius, you couldn't possibly stay out in this weather very long. You'd freeze, literally freeze to death. That is insane. So, 
if you're feeling a little cold tonight, remember this guy. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that's cold. All right. What else we got going on? Oh, very cool. This has been around for a while, but I'm, I'm, I never covered it on the show before. You may have seen it. If not, it's fascinating. If so, watch it again. Wouldn't, wouldn't, won't hurt you. Um, and again, if you're listening on the podcast, I'm sorry. Check out the link in our show notes. It's there for the podcast listeners too. Just click on the link. Should open in another window. And you can check out the video. It's been posted on Facebook from uh, VT is the, uh, the page over there. And this is a guy who has actually invented a real invisibility shield. Check this out. Now, we're not going to play the audio, but you can read along. You want to build your... Look at that. He's gone. The first thing to do, get an acrylic base. Shows him... Uh, bending it it needs to be heated into a curved form so you heat it up over a form and now they've pulled the backing off of it and all of this material is relatively inexpensive so he's drilling some holes he's laid out a little uh pattern here to make some sort of an angle on the thing what creates the invisibility effect uh, apparently is lenticular lenses which is what he's holding up here in this video uh, they plastic lenticular lenses most commonly used in 3d imagery that you know those pictures that change depending upon how you look at it um, yeah that's what this stuff is and it takes advantage of Snell's law and light reflect refraction uh, the lenticular sheet scatters light and that's why, like, for example, the pencil looks like that. When you stick it in water, it looks like it's in two parts. So he took this. It's all uniform all the way across. And it works the same way. No matter what perspective you're looking at it, it reflects, reflects, speak, Jay, reflects the light in a certain way. Donald Tanner got down to minus 45 in Kansas last winter. Good God. Oh, Fahrenheit. Wow. All right, so here this guy attaches the stuff to this acrylic shield he built. He's heating it up, gives the shield more mobility, putting some parts on it there. Assembly's complete, and time for a field test. There you go. He's already kind of disappeared. Check this out. Look at that. Hides behind a truck or a fake tank. Actually, that looks like a real tank. <laughs> oh, check this out. You can, you can see him, but it's pretty good. That's amazing. Game of hide-and-seek would be a whole new experience with this. Look at that. There he is over there. That is so cool. An actual invisibility shield. Look at that. That is so cool. Is he there? No, I don't think he's behind that. Wow. Oh, he is. He was. <laughs> That's insane. You got to check out the video. If you're listening on the podcast, please do check the video out because you got to see this. It is so cool. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. So you see, you Harry Potter fans, it is possible. Invisibility shields are a thing. <laughs> 
All right. One last thing, and we're going to get on to uh, Tom Sawyer. But, Donald, hey, thank you for listening in and watching. Appreciate it. Good to see you. Uh, minus 45 Fahrenheit in, in Kansas. Wow. That's cold. <laughs> All right. I, I tried to get a hold of my brother, you know, my crazy brother who was on our 50th show. Um, he wasn't available. But he sent me this link. And if you're in Malaysia or probably a lot of other countries besides the U.S., this will mean nothing to you. But stay tuned. This is a shamrock shake. Now, March 15th, I think it is, is St. Patrick's Day. St. Patrick's Day isn't that big of a deal here in Malaysia. I mean, you have a lot of expats who will get together at the bar and have a bunch of green beers and things. Everything green. The shamrocks, Irish, whatever. But McDonald's, at least in America, not here, makes for St. Patrick's Day, the limited run of these shamrock shakes. And they're green. And if that wasn't gross enough, they're mint flavored. And they are such a strong mint flavor. I haven't had one of these in 30 years. I can still taste that chemical mint yuck flavor. And the Sheldon family has a story about these shamrock shakes. We all went out as a family. There were seven of us, mom, dad, and five kids. I was the oldest. Michael was the youngest. Then Kathy Bonnie Penny. Um, we went to McDonald's. And I can't remember if all of us had a shamrock shake or just a couple of us. What I do remember is that on the ride home, one of my sisters, I want to say Kathy, but I can't remember. One of my sisters got sick. And up came the shamrock shake all over the place and it was green and I think I'm going to stop telling this story because you can just imagine the rest of it so yeah look at that 460 calories in one small shamrock shake I think I'm grateful they don't sell shamrock shakes here in Malaysia at McDonald's. We do, however, have something you don't have, America. We have nasi lemak at our McDonald's. And honestly, it ain't too bad. Uh, Donald, I need advice. I'm soon going to be an expat. I'm moving to the Philippines. Whoa. Wow. That's fantastic. Congratulations, Donald. Um, hold on. Let me get rid of this shamrock shake. <laughs> Trust me. If you don't have shamrock shakes in your country, good on you. They're so gross. Uh, what, what advice would I give to someone who's going to be an expat, who's never been an expat before? Um, be open-minded be accepting and understandable. Be flexible. Understand that things are not what you might be used to in the U.S. 
In fact, they're not. They're not, it's not a maybe thing. They will not be the same as what you're used to in the U.S. But I think being open-minded is probably the best advice I can give you. One thing also, and especially here in Malaysia, when I heard that Malaysia was an Islamic country, it's not an Islamic country, but Islam is a very big part of life here. And 60% plus, I believe, of the people are, are Muslims. So obviously it affects life. But my impression of an Islamic country was what I saw on CNN in that little 19-inch diagonal boob tube box. When I arrived in Malaysia, I realized how much crap I was being fed all those years about a country where Islam is the majority religion. It's not something to worry about. Uh, but like I said, I think the best advice I could give you was to be open-minded and jump in with both feet. There's a lot of expats in this country. Most of them are extremely well-paid or they have retired with very big pensions and huge savings. And they are, well, let me just say it the way it is. They're fabulously freaking wealthy. Not this one, <laughs> but a lot of them are. And they dine in Western restaurants. They complain about the traffic. They complain about the rules. They complain about things having to do with Malaysian culture. I don't like this. I don't like that. You know what? Then move somewhere else. I've always lived where Malaysians lived. I've always eaten in the places Malaysians eat old back alley mamaks and restaurants and things. Um, I've never been sick from the food. And I've had some of the best food I've ever had in my life. Um, but I have always lived a normal Malaysian life. Because I believe in if you're going to live in a foreign country, live in a foreign country. Experience it. Take part in it. Don't sit around in your high-rise, billion-dollar-a-month rental place and complain about life. Jump in with both feet. 50 pesos to $1. I will live nicely. I'm going there to be married. Congratulations. Fantastic. Really good news. That's great, Donald. I'm very happy for you. But yeah, 50 pesos to $1. Um, cool. If you have a decent savings account and you move over there and you're accepted and immigration lets you stay, um, cool. Uh, I blew through my USD in about seven or eight years. And now and ever since, I make ringgit, which is the Malaysian currency, and I spend ringgit, and all my USD is gone. So, there you go. <laughs> I'm living in the economy, ups and downs, just like everybody else. So, 
There you go. Well, good luck to you, Don. We are very, uh, we're very happy to hear that. And uh, you're not so far away in the Philippines. Consider a trip to uh, Malaysia. Say hi and pop in. We'll stick you on the show. It's been, what, probably 50 years since you and I were back and forth in the radio and stuff? <laughs> wow. That's insane. All right. It's time to move on to our book. We spent a lot of time talking about a whole bunch of collective crap tonight. But that's what we do on this show. You ought to be used to it by now. Uh, Tom Sawyer. We read classic books on this show. And uh, one of the books we have been reading for many shows now, because it's a long book, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer by Mark Twain. Uh, This was the first novel, one of the first, ever written on a typewriter entirely. And um, we always precede this with a little bit of a warning, because, you know, we live in 2022 and people are stupid. This was written in 1876, and some of the words in this book, while appropriate in 1876, are not socially acceptable today, including the N-word is used in this book. We are, however, reading exactly the words on the page the way Mark Twain wrote them. If that offends you, you might want to go find something else to do for the next 15, 20 minutes or so. So we're going to move on up to chapter, what are we on tonight? Oh, chapter 23. Yeah. In the Adventures of Tom Sawyer. At last, the sleepy atmosphere was stirred, and vigorously, the murder trial came on in the court. It had become the absorbing topic of village talk immediately. Tom couldn't get away from it. Every reference to the murder sent a shudder to his heart, for his troubled conscience and fears almost persuaded him that these remarks were put forth in his hearing as feelers. He didn't see how he could be suspected of knowing anything about the murder. But still, he couldn't be comfortable in the midst of the gossip. It kept him in a cold shiver all the time. He took Huck to a lonely place to have a talk with him. It would be some relief to unseal his tongue for a little while, to divide his burden of distress with another sufferer. Moreover, he wanted to assure himself that Huck had remained discreet. Huck, have you ever told anybody about that? About what? You know what? Oh, of course I haven't. Never word? Never solitary word? So help me. What makes you ask? Well, I was afraid. Why, Tom Sawyer, we wouldn't be alive two days if that got out. You know that. Tom felt more comfortable after a pause. Huck, they couldn't anybody get you to tell, could they? Get me to tell? Why, if I wanted that half-breed devil to drown me, that could get me to tell. There ain't no different way. Well... That's all right, then. I reckon we're safe as long as we keep mum. But let's swear again anyway. It's more sure. I'm agreed. So they swore again with dread solemnities. What is the talk around, Huck? I've heard a power of it. Talk? 
Well, it's just Muffer Potter and Muff Potter, Muff Potter all the time. Keeps me in a sweat, constant. So's I wanted to hide Summers. Well, that's just the same way they go on round about me. I reckon he's a goner. Don't you feel sorry for him sometimes? Most always. Most always. He ain't no account, but then he ain't never done anything to hurt anybody. Just fishes a little to get money to get drunk on. Loafs around considerable, but Lord, we all do that. Leastways, most of us. Preachers and such like. But he's kind of good. He gives me half a fish when there weren't enough to. Lots of times he's kind of stood by me when I was out of luck. Well, he's mended kites for me, Huck, and he knitted hooks on to my line. I wish we could get him out of there. My, we could get get him out, Tom. And besides, I wouldn't do any good. They'd catch him again. Yeah, so they would, but... I hate to hear him abuse him so like the Dickens when he never done uh, that. I do too, Tom. Lord, I swear I hear him. He's the bloodiest looking villain in this county. They is wondering why wasn't he ever hung before. Yeah, they talk like that all the time. I heard him say that if he was to get freed, they'd lynch him. And they'd do it too. The boys had a long talk, but it brought them little comfort. As the twilight drew on, they found themselves hanging about the neighborhood of the isolated jail cell, perhaps with an undefined hope that something would happen that might clear away their difficulties. But nothing happened. There seemed to be no angels or fairies interested in this luckless captive. The boys did as they had often done before went to the cell grating and gave Potter some tobacco and matches. He was on the ground floor. There were no guards. His gratitude for their gifts had always smote their consciences before. It cut deeper than ever this time. They felt cowardly and treacherous to the last degree when Potter said, "'You've been mighty good to me, boys. Better than anybody else in this town.' I don't forget it, I don't. Often I says to myself, says I, I used to mend all those boys' kites and things, show them where the good fishing places was, and befriend them when I could. Now they've all forgot old Muff when he's in trouble. But Tom don't, Huck don't. They don't forget him, says I, and I don't forget them. Well, boys, I've done an awful thing. Drunk and crazy at the time, that's that's the only way I can account for it. Now I got a swing for it. And that's right. Right and best too, I reckon. Hope so anyway. Well, we won't talk about that. I don't want to make you feel bad. You've befriended me. What I want to say is don't you ever get drunk. Then you won't ever get here. Stand a little further west, so that's it. It's a prime comfort to see faces that's friendly when a body's in such a muck of trouble. There don't none come here but yawn. Good, friendly faces, good, friendly faces. Get up on one another's backs, let me touch them. 
That's it. Shake hands. You only come through the bars. Mine's too big. Little hands and weak, but they've helped M- Buff Potter of power. They'd help him more if they could. Well, Tom went home miserable, and his dreams that night were full of horrors. The next day and the day after, he hung around the courtroom, drawn by an almost irresistible impulse to go in, but forcing himself to stay out. Huck was having the same experience. Then they studiously avoided each other. Each wandered away from time to time, but the same dismal fascination always brought them back presently. Tom kept his ears open when idlers sauntered out of the courtroom, but invariably heard distressing news. The toils were closing more and more relentlessly around poor Potter. At the end of the second day, the village talk was to the effect that Injun Joe's evidence stood firm and unshaken, and that there was not the slightest question as to what the jury's verdict would be. Tom was out late that night, came to bed through the window, it was in a, he was in a tremendous state of excitement. It was hours before he got to sleep. All the village flocked to the courthouse the next morning, for this was to be the great day. Both sexes were about equally represented in the packed audience. After a long wait, the jury filed in and took their places. Shortly afterwards, Potter, pale and haggard, timid and hopeless, was brought in, with chains upon him, and seated where all the curious eyes could stare at him. No less conspicuous was Injun Joe, stolid as ever. There was another pause. Then the judge arrived, and the sheriff proclaimed the opening of the court. The usual whispers among the lawyers and gathering together of papers followed. These details and accompanying delays worked up an atmosphere of preparation, that was as impressive as it was fascinating. Now, a witness who called to testify that he found Muff Potter washing in the brook at an earlier hour of the morning that the murder was discovered, and that he immediately sneaked away. After some further questioning, counsel for the prosecution said, Take the witness. The prisoner raised his eyes for a moment but dropped them again when his own counsel said, I have no questions to ask him. The next witness proved the finding of the knife near the corpse. Counsel for the prosecution said, Take the witness. I have no questions to ask him, Potter's lawyer replied. The third witness swore he had often seen the knife in Potter's possession. Take the witness. Counsel for Potter declined to question him. The faces of the audience began to betray annoyance. Did this attorney mean to throw away his client's life without even an effort? Several witnesses deposed concerning Potter's guilty behavior when brought to the scene of the murder. They were allowed to leave the stand without being cross-questioned. Every detail the damaging circumstances that occurred in the graveyard upon that morning, which all present remembered so well, was brought out by credible witnesses, but none of them were cross-examined by Potter's lawyer. The perplexity, 
dissatisfaction of the house expressed itself in murmurs and provoked a reproof from the bench. Counsel for the prosecution now said, By the oaths of citizens whose simple word is above suspicion, we have fastened this awful crime, beyond all possibility of question, upon the unhappy prisoner at the bar. We rest our case here. A groan escaped from poor Potter. He put his face in his hands, rocked his body softly to and fro, while a painful silence reigned in the courtroom. Many men were moved. Many women's compassion testified itself in tears. Counsel for the defense rose and said, Your Honor, in our remarks at the opening of this trial, we foreshadowed our purpose to prove that our client did this fearful deed while under the influence of a blind and irresponsible delirium produced by drink. We have changed our mind. We shall not offer that plea. And then to the clerk, call Thomas Sawyer. A puzzled amazement awoke in every face in the house, not even excepting Potter's. Every eye fastened itself with wondering interest upon Tom as he rose and took his place on the stand. The boy looked wild enough, for he was badly scared, and the oath was administered. Thomas Sawyer, where were you on the 17th of June, about the hour of midnight? Tom glanced at Injun Joe's iron face, and his tongue failed him. The audience listened breathless, but the words refused to come. After a few moments, however, the boy got a little of his strength back, managed to put enough of it into his voice to make part of the house here in the graveyard. A little louder, please. Don't be afraid. You were in the graveyard. A contemptuous smile fitted across Injun Joe's face. Were you anywhere near Horse William's grave? Yes, sir. Speak up just a trifle louder. How near were you? Near as I am to you. Were you hidden or not? I was hid. Where? Behind the elms that's on the edge of the grave. Injun Joe gave a barely perceptible start. Anyone with you? Yes, sir. I went there with... Wait, wait a moment. Never mind mentioning your companion's name. We'll produce him at the proper time. Did you carry anything there with you? Tom hesitated and looked confused. Speak out, my boy. Don't be difficult. Truth is always respectable. What'd you take there? Only a, a, a dead cat. There was a ripple of mirth, which the court checked. We will produce the skeleton of that cat. Now, my boy, tell us everything that occurred. Tell it in your own way. Don't skip anything and don't be afraid. Tom began, hesitantly at first, but... As he warmed to his subject, his words flowed more and more easily. A little while, every sound ceased but his own voice. Every eye 
fixed itself upon him. With parted lips and bated breath, the audience hung upon his words. Taking no note of time, wrapped in the ghastly fascinations of the tale, the strain upon pent emotion reached its climax when the boy said, And as the doctor fetched the board round, and Muff Potter fell, Injun Joe jumped with the knife and crash. Quick as lightning, the half-breed sprang for a window, tore his way through all opposers, and was gone. Wow. <laughs> That's chapter 23. I cannot wait for chapter 24 on our next stream. We'll find out what happened after Injun Joe crashed his way out the window. Oh my goodness. Wow. The Adventures of Tom Sawyer by Mark Twain. <laughs> All right, my friends, we'll see you again on Saturday night for another uh, show. Until then, thanks for listening, watching. Subscribe, subscribe, follow, please. Hit the button. It's free, it's easy, and it helps me a lot. Thank you. I'm Jay Sheldon. I'm not wearing pants. Good night. <laughs>